Speaking of the truthful and faithful word, let us stand out of respect for our Lord as we read together today's text as we continue our study in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, we'll pick up with verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Lord, we come to worship you this morning in spirit and truth. And therefore we ask that you not only open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear, but open our hearts, Lord, that we might obey. For it is in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Well, by way of review, uh, just to go back to where we were at a couple of weeks ago, Paul left Rome where he had been under house arrest because of a false accusation made against him. And uh, he had Timothy with him. This is around 62 AD. They go to Ephesus. Why Ephesus? Well, that was the crossroads city for all of Europe and Asia. I mean, this is a buzzing place. And he had thrown a couple of men out of church there. There was a guy named Hymenaeus, another guy named Alexander. And they had been teaching a bunch of heretical nonsense that was leading members of the church to compromise truth. They were taking the truth and they were mingling it with legalistic uh, nonsense from the Judaizers within the church and mingling it with mystical nonsense from the Gentile Gnostics that were just beginning to emerge within the church. And these guys would not repent. They wouldn't stop. And so he says, I turned them over to Satan, not as a punishment, but so they would learn the seriousness of blaspheming our Lord. And then he says in verse one, first of all, now this is an urgent matter. First of all, pray for all people, including those in high positions. You pray for Governor Felix, you pray for Governor Festus, you pray for King Agrippa, you pray for the Emperor Nero, that we might lead peaceful, quiet, godly lives that are dignified in every way. That's what's good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who, by the way, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, the Lord takes no pleasure in anyone suffering the just wrath their rebellious behavior demands in the presence of his holiness. He doesn't take any pleasure in that. And this word for desires, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, verse 4, is not bulimai. Bulimai is God's will by decree. And who can thwart the will of God? They can't. What the Lord has decreed will occur, will occur. But that's not the word here. This is thelo. This expresses the compassion of a holy God's heart that is going to result in the salvation of men from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free. In other words, descendants of those that scattered at the Tower of Babel. Remember that in Genesis 11? The Lord said to go forth, and they said, nah, we think that we'll stay right here. 
and we're going to build a ziggurat to the heavens to the glory of our name. And he said, yeah, I don't think so. See, that's Bullamai. That's Bullamai. You are going to scatter. And he, he um, gives them a diversification of the languages. He says, those people are going to hear the gospel. And I tell you what, when that gospel goes forth on the day of Pentecost, every man who's under all these various languages because of that curse at Babel, they're all going to hear it in their own language. Wow, what a miracle. That's a divine miracle. They're going to hear this good news of what our creator has done, how he fulfilled the promise that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden, that he would send one who would crush the serpent's head and the sin and the death that that serpent brought. This is the reason, by the way, that we have partners for the gospel around the world. This is the reason for it. All men, regardless of their gender, their nationality, their race, will be reconciled to their creator. How? According to truth. That's verse 4. What truth? He explains, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. One. Look, every man has gone his own way, the Bible says, Isaiah 53. And that's what we actually saw in Genesis 11. You know why? Because when the Lord brought judgment by way of the flood, that's Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Um, judgment does not change the human heart. And so when the Lord says, look, as, as they begin to multiply and so forth, he says, look, I created the whole world, the whole world for you scatter and be a blessing. And they said, no, we're going to stay here. We're going, to, we're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower to the heavens that will bring glory to our accomplishments. And the Lord said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You will scatter. And he keeps them from working together by giving them different languages. And as I said, that's the word bulamai. And as they do so, the Lord creates racial diversity that corresponds to various environments. Yet all men know by the creation that they observe. What do all men know? There's got to be a creator. I mean, that's just logical. It just makes sense. The heavens de declare his glory. So in their fallen condition, what do they do? They know there's got to be a God who created this. So what do they do? Well, they create gods according to what they think God ought to be like. And among the descendants of Noah's son, Shem, was a guy named Heber, from whom many believe the original language gets its name Hebrew. And from the lineage, the Lord calls, from his lineage, the Lord calls a Hebrew named Abraham. He calls him out from the gods of his father. And when it says the gods of, of his father, he's talking about these mythological creations of man to prepare for the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. And yet throughout history, man in his spiritually dead condition, he has been creating gods according to what he thinks. It's no different today than it was back in that day. I mean, we've got uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and, and just like then, they had a plethora of gods in Greek and Roman mythology. And you know what? In Ephesus, 
One of the seven wonders of the world was the temple of Diana. The temple of Diana. That's the, the Latinized word for the Greek word Artemis. Sister of Apollo. Queen of heaven. And you could, there in Ephesus, you could buy these little female figurines to take with you and worship Diana wherever you go. And that's what got Paul in trouble back in Acts 19. While he was serving as pastor of the Ephesian church, he got into trouble with a guy named uh, Demetrius and, and the others who were a part of that whole um, uh, union that made lots of money off of selling trinkets of Diana. And Paul, he got in trouble for telling the truth. That's all he did. He just told them the truth. And many times people don't want to hear the truth. They don't. They want to believe what they want to believe, right? And so when Paul points out gods made with human hands are no gods at all, man, the people throughout all of Asia Minor, they went up in arms over this. You can't tell us that our experience at the temple of Diana isn't real. It got bad. Riot broke out. They seized Paul and his companions, dragged them into a theater where they would, they would have beaten them to death had, had uh, the city clerk not stepped in and said, hey, you know what, by the way, you all do this, you're breaking the Roman law. You're breaking law here. You, you better not do this. Well, this is where Paul has gone back to. And he's taken Timothy with him. And he's now left Timothy there to be the pastor. And Paul reminds him that the Lord desires all people, Jew and Gentile, to be saved. He desires that all people come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the truth? What is it? None of the gods that man has created are real. None of them. There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. And there's no article here in the Greek. None. Just anthropos. It speaks of the incarnation. Here, here's a more literal translation. It would read, this little section here would read, Christ Jesus himself, man. Not only, it, it makes sense that there would only be one God, but now why is there only one mediator? I mean, why wouldn't a, a, a number of roads lead to heaven? Why, why wouldn't a number of religions be acceptable? Why, why do you only have one mediator? Have you ever had a dispute? If you're married, say yes. Okay? Um, in sports, if you've got two teams playing, what do you have to have? An umpire or a referee, right? Some cases, several. In society, where you've got fallen men all living together, right? What do you need? Judges. You need judges to mediate. There's one God who is holy. And then there's you who is not holy. What does that mean? We've got a conflict. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have a conflict with God. Doesn't make any difference. He's got a conflict with you. So we need somebody who is qualified to restore that which is broken. And this is where a lot of times people want to insert their religion, want to insert their theology, want to insert their psychology. And so Paul makes it real clear to Timothy, look, in that environment there, 
you make sure they understand there's only one mediator and they have to be both God and man. All attempts to reconcile ourselves through human effort are inadequate. How? How could we satisfy the just wrath of a holy God? We can't. We can't do it. Somebody who is fully divine must, who, who is capable of satisfying that just wrath, must do it on our behalf. And, and, and they have to be fully human without sin in order to be qualified for it. And this is essential for all men. Why? Well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. When you were a kid, your mama didn't send you to wicked school to learn how to hit other kids in the head with a truck, did she? You came up with that on your own. You, you didn't have to take course 101 in how to throw a fit. Man, you, you came out of the womb able to do that. Lying to your mother about who ate those cookies, that, thing, that came easy for you. It's always better to see your sister punished than to see you punished. I mean, genetically, you arrived out of the womb with the ability to deceive in whatever way necessary that would benefit you, right? You all like John MacArthur, don't you? Let me tell you the truth about John MacArthur, okay? He said that when he was a kid, his father, who was a pastor, made him wear a sign around his neck at church that said, don't play with me, I bite. That's John MacArthur. The guy you know and love is a new creation in Christ by the mercies of God. He's not the real John MacArthur that was born in iniquity, as Psalm 51 says, that was a child of wrath, as Paul points out in his letter to the Ephesian church. John, like you, like me, was born of the seed of Satan. There, there, the seed of Satan and the seed of woman, there's going to be, there's going to be enmity between the two of them, right? Genesis 3. We were born of the seed of Satan in rebellion. And we were on a path that separates us from our holy creator. And had it not been for God's mercy, had it not been for his great love, that caused him to send a mediator, incarnate Christ Jesus to reconcile John you would have never benefited from the wonderful ways the Lord has used John to bless your life and let me tell you this if if you are a blessing to other people if there are people whose lives are being enriched because of you People who are blessed and strengthened by godly advice and encouragement that you provide. It is only because of the mercy of God according to his great love that the Lord has reconciled you with himself and is now going to bring to fruition the work that he begun in you. That's the only reason. Now, how does that occur? Well, there's only one way. There's only one way. There was a man that rang a, my my. I rang the doorbell at my daughter's home and I happened to be there and I answered it. I think I thought he was going to be delivering something. And so um, I uh, went to the door and 
And uh, he said, oh, no. He said, I, I, I was in the area, and I, I stopped by to invite you to our church. And so I stepped out on the front porch, and I said, well, thank you very much. Thank I really appreciate that. Tell me about your church. Do you worship the Lord in, in spirit and truth? Uh, uh, acknowledging Christ as, as your Savior? And he said, well, yes, yes, we do. But, but we recognize that, that, that all faiths have, have legitimacy. I said, you do? He said, yes, yes. We're very inclusive there. Everyone is welcome at our church. Everyone. Really? Yeah. I said, who is the authority in your church? Well, he said, we've got Professor so-and-so, you know, UK. He's, he's in charge of that whole department of, of, of this area. And, and he's one of our, our leaders. And I'm sure you've heard of Dr. So-and-so. He's one of the best-known doctors here in, in Lexington. And, and no doubt you recognize the, the name of so-and-so who has uh, been a local politician for years. And, I mean, he's just going through the litany of names. I said, no, 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 no. That's not what I ask you. I want to know who is the authority in your church. Who has the authority to call God a liar? He said, oh, we, we don't call God a liar. I said, then I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. I thought for sure you said that you recognize all faiths as legitimate. That it didn't matter whether you believed the truth or you believed a bunch of lies. Everyone can come and worship the God of his own making. And to do that, you've got to call God a liar. Because he said in his word that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. I thought I understood you to say that's not true. I thought you said that, that the Bible is not inerrant. That the Bible is not reliable. Because there is some authority in your church that has said that it doesn't matter what you believe. You're going to be accepted and included and received here within our fellowship. We are very inclusive. I thought that's what you said. So I'm just asking, who is the authority in your church who calls God a liar? And he said, you know, I'd like to discuss that with you further, but my wife said that I need to pick some things up on my way home, and I need to get there before they close. It's three hours before Kroger closes. I've got to go. I understand. Well, look, thank you for coming, and do come again. This is what was concerning the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. You understand that? Guys like Hymenaeus and Alexander, they were trying to mix truth with lies. They were teaching myths of, of the Gnostics who believed that you could pass through various emanations of gods. That was the extraterrestrials of their day. Which, by the way, extraterrestrials are back in vogue today. They would take men's names out of the Old Testament genealogies and, and, and make up fanciful stories about them, much like some do today who say you need to venerate this saint and venerate that saint and you need to go through Mary in order to pray to the Lord and so forth. That was going on in Ephesus. Nothing has changed for them. Um, I was told this week about the elevation movement, which I wasn't aware. I'm, I'm not in tune with it uh, because I, I don't 
I don't listen to the radio and I don't watch television, so that kind of limits my uh, exposure. And uh, I, I was told that that's the newest thing that you hear on Christian radio today. It's coming out of Stephen Furtick's church in North Carolina, who, by the way, claims that the Lord had to break his own law given in the Old Testament in order to love us. Well, that's a new revelation, that the Lord had to sin in order to redeem sinners. By the way, that's heresy, if you don't recognize it. Um, and you know how he, how he gets his people to buy that? And I understand he influences tens of thousands of people. You know how he gets them to buy that? Through the experience that he provides at his church. They are deceived by how he very carefully weaves heresies in and out of things that are actually true. And he weaves them together so magnificently. And they don't realize it because their guard is down. Why is their guard down? Well, it's in a church. And not only that, he is a graduate of Southern Seminary. And so they think that whatever he teaches is safe. And so now he boasts over the fact that he's worth more than $55 million from selling his music and his sermons, even though many of them often contradict scripture. But he's providing an experience. And you know what? It is so deceptive, people are not even realizing it. I was asked this week about the revival of Asbury. Is it real? I haven't been there, but I, I can tell you this. If it is real, it has to be according to truth. Hey, you know that? Because Christ said to the apostles, this is John 16. He said, look, I have to go. I'm going to be ascending to heaven, but I am going to send the spirit of truth to you. And he will guide you into all truth. That's the apostolic authority we have for the New Testament. If you keep reading, remember when we were going through the Gospel of John? In John 17, he says, sanctify them, Lord, by truth. And he adds what? Your truth. Your word is truth. Your truth. Well, what about the Old Testament? Is that Theonustos too? Well, those are the sacred scriptures Timothy was taught from his youth. Of course it is. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver, purified, and gold refined. That's Psalm 12, talking about the Old Testament. When Paul would go forth to preach, listen, when the apostle Paul preached, the Bereans were examining the Old Testament scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was the truth. So what is the truth? What is the truth about the revival at Asbury? What is the truth about the elevation movement? What is the truth about the music that's put out by Hillsong? What is the truth about, you name it, any number of things out there? What is the truth? Well, the truth is not determined by what someone thinks. And it's not determined by what someone says is their experience. The Lord has given us a standard by which to judge truth. And we judge all things according to the truth of his word. And so our leadership has provided a handout 
that you can pick up at the connect table, or I don't know if it's on these other tables or not, but you can pick it up. It, it says up at the top, uh, what does it say at the top? Uh, questions regarding revival. This is what it looks like. It's a front and back piece of paper. And our elders are putting that out. And you know what? There are no personal opinions on that sheet anywhere. Do you know why? Because as soon as you give your personal opinion, somebody else is going to have a different opinion, right? When you've got two different opinions, what do you have? You have conflict. When you have conflict, what do you have? You have arguments. When you have arguments, what do you have? You have division. When you have division, what do you have? You have a Lord blasphemed in the body of Christ. And so our elders are way too smart than to put out personal opinions based on what somebody thinks or what somebody else said their experience was. What did they put out? I encourage you to read this. It outlines biblical principles so that you, each one of you, each one of you can exercise wisdom and discernment based on his divinely revealed truth. By the way, the Greek word for worship, proskuneo, means to encounter the Lord with praise. Remember the lady at the well at Sychar, she asked Christ, who's right? What's your opinion? The Jews say you ought to worship in Jerusalem. My people say you ought to worship here on Mount Gerizim. Who's right? What's your opinion? He said, miss, it is not where you worship, it's how you worship that matters. And your worship had better come from the heart and spirit, and it better come according to truth. You must worship him in spirit and truth wherever you are. We had a man in our church invite his co-worker to worship with us here, and she came for a few weeks, and then she signed up for one of our courses. It happened to be the Attributes of God course. And at that time, I happened to be teaching that course on a Sunday evening. And so I opened up the class one night by reading Ephesians 2. And as I was reading that chapter, and then I had a word of prayer because we were going to be dealing with the attribute of God's sovereignty. When I finished praying, she said, I don't believe that. I said, pardon me, you don't believe what? She said, I don't believe what you just read. I don't agree with it. That's the issue, isn't it? I don't agree with him. There is one God who created the heavens and the earth. He has communicated with his creation in his word. And he does not give it. I don't know if we have any Muslims in here or not. But he does not give it through a crazed camel driver in a cave. As Muhammad claims. He does not give it to a guy sitting under a Bodhi tree like Gautama who gave us Buddhism. He does not give it through a mixture of myths like Hinduism. You know what he does? Over 1,500 years, to make sure you understand man can't do this, right? 1,500 years through 40 different individuals from all walks of life. It's going to span six major civilizations. Can you imagine that? Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, through six major civilizations. In three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. You know what's amazing about that? You know why man couldn't do that? It's because through all of that he gives you one consistent message. 
included in that one consistent message from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. There's 355 prophecies about the Mashiach, the Christ, confirmed in the life of one individual, a human, Jesus. And he didn't break God's law, Furek, by loving us. He fulfilled God's law with 100% accuracy. And you know what? That's the word that we reject if and when we create gods in our own image and we decide to go with what we think or how we view our experiences from our fallen finite perspective. Now, contrary to what many of you are probably thinking, I was not unkind with that lady in class that night. I mean, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, boy, I bet you ate her up. No, I didn't. I did not. You know why? I was compassionate with her. My heart was broken for that lady. Because when we were dead in our sins, we didn't think straight either. In our fallen, finite, feeble condition, we were not even aware of the pathetic condition of our state of mind. Until somebody told us the truth. Somebody had to tell us the truth that there is one God, one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The Greek word for ransom here is not the normal word lutron. It's antilotron. Why'd you do that, Paul? Because the normal meaning for ransom is what? Somebody takes your kid and they say, you bring us $100,000, we'll give you your baby back. What do you do? You go round up $100,000. You get it however you have to get it in order to get your child back. That's a ransom. Christ does not come and say, I am here to provide gold and silver and good deeds in exchange for the souls of men. I'm here to set an example for you that you can follow. He doesn't come to pay a ransom. He comes to be a ransom. He gave himself as a ransom for all. There's no amount of money, there's no amount of good deeds that can satisfy the just demands of God's holy character. So religion is out. How can any man-made religion appease that which is divine? It can't. It can't do it. Somebody fully divine will have to do it. And somebody, fully human without sin, will have to take our, pre- our place in his presence, the presence of a holy God. That's why Christ goes to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, the Lord pulls down the shades at noon. I mean, it is pitch black. Why? Because Christ, he's going to now deal with Christ as if he were me. Me. And knowing what that involved, that caused Christ to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the garden the night before. And you know what? It was just as horrific as he knew that it would be. Because he bore our sins. He took our place. He became our payment. And then you know what happened? You remember? The Lord raises the shades for all to hear, to tell us, die, it is finished. It is finished. And the priests that were working over the temple that day, man, they ran for cover. You know why? 
because there was a 10 inch thick curtain that was 60 feet high that began to rip from top to bottom. This ceiling here is not quite 30 feet. Double it. That's how high the curtain was. And it's ripping from top to bottom all the way down because it is the Lord who is ripping it, not man. Josephus said a team of horses couldn't rip it. And here it comes. Scared them out of their mind. And never again, never again from that day forth has a Yom Kippur sacrifice ever been offered in the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it's no longer necessary. That Old Testament picture observed for hundreds of years had been fulfilled by the new covenant of Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Jesus Christ. Christ means anointed one. Mashiach in Hebrew. He gave himself as a ransom for all, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men from every tongue, tribe, and nation on earth. And folks, that is why we do not just gather together on a Sunday morning to, to huddle around the truth as if this is only for us. We live peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified lives. So in our God-given love for all people, we can share with all people that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, sufficient for all and efficient for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In other words, this is no random event. The Lord promised it in the beginning to Adam and Eve right there in the garden. And then he gave you a genealogical roadmap that Luke will trace for you. If you turn to the Gospel of Luke, because he's writing to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, right? He is going to trace for you this genealogical roadmap that is going to go from the, the literal human instrument for the incarnation, Mary, all the way back to Seth, the son of Adam and Eve to whom he gave the promise. And you know what? Along the way, he's going to give you some pictures so as you can understand, you know how man is. He needs to be able to see pictures. And so he's going to give you a picture of this lamb without blemish that's going to be sacrificed for 1,500 years. He's going to give you a picture of the Nehushtan. You know what that is? The crossbar that Moses raises up in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And all who were to look upon that, that evil that they had engaged in and they're grumbling against the Lord. All who look upon that will be healed. And so Christ says in John 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent, the symbol of evil, in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up for all to see how evil must be dealt with by a holy God. And the Lord provides hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, verifying this is the sacred scriptures. This is theonoustos. This is God-breathed. This is something man could not produce, even if he wanted to, and would not produce, even if he could. And then after that, he unites the civilized world under one language. It's called Koine Greek. Koine means common. It's taken from the word koinonia. Fellowship with those who have life in common. Koine Greek becomes the international language of the day. He is unifying the world under that language. And then the Romans come along. And they provide the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, the military strength that ensures peaceful travel throughout all of the empire. Why? Because now you're going to see the gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. 
So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth Christ, born of woman, the seed of woman, as he said in Genesis 3. Not of the seed of Adam, not of the seed of man. Born under the law, the law that he fulfills to perfection, to redeem those under the law who have broken it, Galatians 4. His incarnate arrival was the proper time for the beginning of the church age, the age of grace. And Paul says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not lying. I, of all people, am an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Timothy, we pray for all people because of the compassion of God's heart for both Jew and Gentile. That they might be redeemed to the glory of his name. And there's only one. There's no other name given among men whereby you can be saved except for Christ Jesus, who is both God and man. And he is the only one mediator who can do this. And you know I'm telling the truth. You know I am. You know about my encounter on the road to Damascus. You know that I'm not lying about that. I mean, why would someone like me, why would someone like me, a Pharisee who hated Christians, who was gathering up Christians to put them to death, why would he suddenly give up such a respectable position within the culture? Why would he abandon his life work to become a part of the Sanhedrin, to have his former colleagues think that he had lost his mind? Why would he give all of that up to endure beatings and imprisonments? All because Christ had appointed him a preacher, That's one who proclaims the truth. Whether he's in the synagogues or he's on Mars Hill, he proclaims the truth. An apostle, one who is sent, who is commissioned to Jew and Gentile and to kings. A teacher. A teacher to Gentiles? Yes, they need much more instruction than devout Jews because they're not as familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. That's why Paul spent hours, sometimes days. In the case of Ephesus, three years, three years as their pastor. Not just preaching, but teaching the truth. And that's what you need to do, Timothy. You teach them to live in faith and truth. If your faith is not based on truth, it really doesn't matter how long you kneel. It doesn't matter how long you sing. It doesn't matter how high you jump. Your worship is not going to be pleasing to a holy God. Now, you know what that leads us to? You know where this is going to take us? What does it mean to lift holy hands without anger? What does it mean for women to not braid their hair with gold, pearls, and costly attire? What does it mean to learn quietly with all submissiveness? What does it mean... I don't permit a woman to exercise authority over a man? What is that all about? Is that a cultural thing? How does that fit in with the truth? Well, I tell you, next week ought to be a lot of fun, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, Lord, thank you for the truth that you have given us in your word. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of truth who has removed the scales from our eyes and opened our ears and transformed our hearts that we might discern truth from the lives of men, that we might bring our lives in line with your truth 
so we can live in ways that are certainly pleasing to you. And Father, we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and our Savior that you provided as a mediator, one who has redeemed us from the spiritual death that we were dying and has given us new life and made us a new creation. Lord, we thank you in his name, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.